Fantastic! We're recording a podcast! Yes! <laughs> oh, finally, after an hour of troubleshooting. After literally an hour of trying oh, to figure Lord. out how to record a podcast. Bone music. Yeah. Well, that's... that's ribs. Anywho. Pepsi. I didn't think about the end of the sentence when I started this, so I'm gonna start over. Amorphous silicon detectors with cesium or gadolinium scintillators. That's ribs. Yeah, sure. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Out of Phase, presented by Portland State Professional Sound. We're back with another episode of our now monthly series uh, that is a completely different show than when we started. We are talking about music history now instead of uh, just kind of various music topics. But returning back to some old material, I guess... Uh, my guest this week is, again, uh, my good friend and former PSPS uh, employee, uh, Alex Zagarnik. Hi, Alex. Hey, Drew. What's up? How's it going? Well, I'm currently recording a podcast. I don't know about you. Oh, uh, I I was actually working in my machine shop. But no, I am also now recording a podcast now that you oh. now that I think about it. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that's, it's kind of weird how that works out. I know, right? So, Things are uh, changing. Last last month, uh, our episode was very Halloween themed, and this month our episode is not at all Thanksgiving themed. So we're really hitting the theming like very well so far. Wonderful! Um, it's a great start. It's a great. I suppose start. I suppose we're record we're recording this on the twenty fourth, so we're recording this the week of Thanksgiving of, of American Thanksgiving, I should say, and as if we have a big Canadian audience. Um, and uh, this won't come out until like the beginning of December, so it's good that it's not a Thanksgiving episode. However, what this episode is, is something that I think is actually pretty cool. Um, so if you don't know Alex, Alex uh, was, was born in Moscow and, and grew up there and has lived in the United States for a number of years now. But we're going to talk about, uh, actually, Alex, what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about what uh, what me and you have been calling the bone music. The bone records, which is, which is, is just, just so, not what it's uh, called. Just... just it's not what that's called. Let me just be completely clear. It's not Jamponent by Genuine, okay? Uh, we're talking about completely different music. Uh, we're going to talk about... The song is called Pony, but yes, it's not I don't. Music, it doesn't matter. Yes. Uh, pony, sorry. My was bad. That, was anyway. that the joke you were referring to? Yes. Anywho, anywho, anywho uh, we're actually, yeah, we're going to be talking about uh, Bone Records or Rib Records, uh, also commonly known as Ribs, and that is the records that were made using X-ray photos in the Soviet Union in the 1950s. Yeah. I think this is this is something that you and I have wanted to talk about for for a long time because I know it's something that I've always thought is really cool, and also uh, something that you've told me about like several times. Um, and it didn't fit into our show before, but it definitely fits into the show now. Um, so I really wanted to start off the show, Alex, by uh, having you tell me uh, kind of uh, like what your experience is with these, like if you are like. Why do you know about them? Is is it something about like is it something that you know is just broadly known in Russia or or uh, something like that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so uh, yes, it is a pretty well known mode of listening to music in Russia, uh, even among current youth. I would even say. Well, I mean, if by youth you mean twenty six year olds like myself. Uh, I'll I'll um, <laughs> I'll expand on that a little bit. So the way I know about the ribs is 
due to a movie that came out in 2008. Uh, it's a Russian musical called Stilagi, or translated to English, uh, Hipsters. Uh, and it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a musical about uh, Soviet uh, subculture in the 1950s where people were really interested in Western culture and they were like actively engaged in copying the style. Like the, actually the whole, the whole term Stilagi uh, it comes from jazz players because the term stilet means to copy the other's uh, playing style. So stilagi effectively yeah, the people who are copying Western culture. Interesting. So so it's it, it, Western copycat kind of Western seems copycat. Like what you're, yeah, like, that's cool. But that yeah, movie was really that. popular. Yeah, the movie was really popular, and it, it became really popular with the youth. Like like in two thousand eight, me myself growing up, I was uh, I think in ninth or. Uh, Ninth or eighth grade, uh, and uh, everybody were really enamored with it. A lot of our um, high schoolers were really into the style. They started dressing up like uh, Stilagi and walking around, like you know, w w wearing older clothes, walking around with like you know, with suitcases that were like from the nineteen sixties and seventies because they really liked the style. So it became really popular for a short period again, uh, and that's how I know it. No, that's about cool. It. I know about it just from, you know, one it being one of those little, like, tidbits of information about the Soviet Union that, you know, you learn mm -hmm. about in whatever. I mean, I also come from a family that, or my dad specifically talks a lot about music history and stuff like that. I, I don't know if this is something that he told me about, but I, this is always kind of stuff that I'm interested in. So, yeah. first thing we're going to jump into is we're going to talk about what they actually were. What are these bone records? Like, what are ribs? Um, so, like Alex mentioned, they are records that were printed on uh, discarded x-ray plates um so they're not vinyl uh, in the way that a traditional record would be but they are printed on an x-ray plate which <laughs> this is this was my favorite part of doing research for this episode i tried to look up what an x-ray plate was made out of <laughs> <laughs> and apparently they are made out of <laughs> it is i'm gonna i don't okay this is gonna be totally wrong uh, it is a combination of amorphous silicon detectors with cesium or gadolinium scintillators, uh, which apparently they convert literal x-rays into light, um, which allow them to be seen on, on this media. So it's not, um, it's not final, <laughs> which is kind of important in, in uh, you know, the, the nature of these things. They are yeah. pretty thin compared to, compared to a sheet of vinyl that you would use for... Um, like printing a record on but I, I would imagine they're probably like sort of a similar thickness to like a sheet of vinyl if anyone's ever like experienced what like sheet vinyl is it's pretty thin it's like linoleum I, it, it, anyway so basically these people this underground culture of people would go to hospitals and either find these uh x-ray plates in like the dumpster or would buy them directly from the hospital for like super cheap, like a ruble or something like that, which I have absolutely yeah. no concept of a, how much a ruble is in American dollars today and B how much it was in the 1940s and fifties. So, well, I'll, I'll, I'll put it this way, uh, just to give you some perspective, uh, ruble, uh, it was much like American dollars and cents. The ruble was like the dollar and Russian version of cent was kabeka. Uh, gotcha. And uh, yes, hundred kopeka is uh, one ruble, and so gotcha. I, I would I would say that probably in terms of value they were s relatively similar uh, gotcha. in the fifties, 
So a dollar okay. would be a lot, and a few cents could buy you nice, well, nice, important things. Cool. Um, but uh, one important thing is that actually the the hospitals and uh, public um, public hospitals, I would guess, uh, they were really happy to get rid of the just the sheer number of uh, X-rays that they had because otherwise they had to keep them forever. <laughs> and uh, yeah. yeah, so the hospital workers they would just sometimes they would just give them away without even buying them because you're just laying on the shelf and not doing anything, taking up space. Yeah, one of the things that I find interesting about this this choice of material, other than it being a really iconic look, if you've never seen these things before, look up bone records or ribs records because they're they look like a record, but they're basically translucent with an X-ray on them. Like it's exactly what you'd think it looks like, but it is quite interesting to look at. But yep. the the choice in material basically came from once records started becoming printed in mass quantities, vinyl became the choice because it was cheap and it held the you know actual print for quite a while. But vinyl's not super readily available to someone who's trying to make underground records at the time. So they tried to make things on like wax and film, but that isn't those don't hold nearly as well as an x-ray plate does. Um, and so they started to be used because they were more dense and they were thicker um, and they would, they would actually hold the print for longer. And to be fair, they wouldn't hold the print for a long time. They would, you would only yeah. be able to listen to a bone record about five times unless it was a better one. And then it was just gone. Like it was just too messed up. Um, yeah, the the plate itself it's rather soft, so it's understandable that the needle of the record player would cut through it and destroy right. the record on itself. Which is why many of the bone records they have been discarded, uh, like after um, after a few uses. Uh, what's also important to know is that bone records, in terms of quality, the ribs they 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 were horrible. Oh, yeah. They're terrible. The quality was horrible. <laughs> it was full of noise, and in many cases the record length was limited to like three and a half minutes. So that's right. all you get for your hard-earned money. And uh, I don't know if you found it in your research, but uh, sometimes people would buy uh, ribs and instead of music, they would find uh, recorded insults to the listeners, scolding them for, oh, yeah. for or, wanting yes, to hear I, for, for I, foreign artists. I, I'm going to get to that because I think that's a super interesting part of this story. So one of the reasons why the quality was so terrible is because of the way they were made. So first of all, they would basically take a rectangular uh, x-ray plate and they would cut it into a circle that was, you know, the size of a record. They would then take a cigarette to burn the hole in the center because it's hard to cut the center of something. And a cigarette is about the size of the spindle on a record player. And then they would use basically modified phonographs so like old, older style recording and uh, record playing equipment they would use a modified phonograph to record versions of this song onto the actual record so it's completely janky equipment which is it not only is it janky equipment they're literally using cigarettes to create the records and it's also on an, on a medium that is not designed to hold this kind of a print so that, that that's part of the reason these things were so terrible, but also incredibly cheap, right? So they 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 come out of this like really underground culture in which music was American music very specifically was being disseminated through the Soviet public, and they were done on the cheap because they could be done on the cheap, and you could buy them, listen to them a couple of times, and then they would be gone. Uh, so Alex, you were the one who did a little bit more of the research on the actual culture surrounding them. Uh, so like what? 
what what who was this that was doing these things like why were these groups creating these records sure of course well think about what do you imagine when you hear the word soviet union during stalin's rule incredibly um, censored bad bad uh yeah very enforced so so just in terms of availability of music as a medium there was not a lot available and so people and i'm not talking just stilagi and different subcultures i'm talking about regular soviet people which by the way if you didn't know not everyone was with stalin right not every <laughs> I would actually russian make citizen an that a lot of people didn't like him yeah they, he was not a very liked guy by many people let's put it this way and so people would just go uh, go out and uh, try to source uh, ribs. Uh, what would happen basically is that you could, it, this is not something you could just go like to a store and buy. You had to go to like a flea market and uh, seek it that way. Um, and so yeah, the, the music was the music was recorded on those because again, general availability, not a lot was there, and people. People, they bought it because, number one, you just could not get foreign music legally in Russia. It was not right. available. And getting back to the question of quality, they didn't really mind it because there wasn't a lot in stock. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, the only music that was really printed in the Soviet Union was done by Melodia, which was the official state-owned record label. And it was like, yeah. basically classical music recordings of famous actors and fairy tales for kids and that is all they were doing at the time later they would actually like lean during the like perestroika period where there was restructuring going on in the soviet union and it was starting to become more western they would actually start to print more popular music but at the time they were just printing basically classical music and kids stories and that's it so that was the only kind yeah. of vinyl you could actually get in the soviet union at the time and what's really cool is that, uh, speaking of record labels, there was an underground record label for creating ribs. Uh, the guy who actually made the handmade record maker in 1947, his name is uh, Ruslan Bogoslavsky, uh, he created an underground label, The Golden Dog. And The Golden Dog was responsible for making hundreds upon hundreds of those records and distributing them as well. Um, and so, yeah... That is a little cool tidbit about that. There's been a lot of development uh, throughout the time uh, of those uh, uh, record makers, uh, even with the fact that uh, later versions of it were able to uh, record at uh, 33 uh, RPM, which would increase the quality and increase the duration of what you could put on the record, from what I understand. But right, they yeah. decided to not do that. They decided, the, especially Bogoslavsky, he realized that there is no point in increasing the quality of a record on an X-ray plate. <laughs> yeah, so right. they just stayed at 78 RPM, which was the standard of recording those at the time. Uh, and it also was just faster and easier to produce and distribute rather than risking making longer records and uh, potentially getting caught. Right. So one of the really important parts of this story that you touched on is the censorship in the Soviet Union. And if you don't know anything about history and just know that, like, oh, there was the Cold War and the Soviet Union was the bad guys, the Soviet Union was very, very, very locked down in terms of, of speech broadly speaking. And that really extended to musical censorship. So basically after World War II started, Stalin was like, no, we're not going to have any American influence in the USSR. We don't need that. That's not good. So it started with jazz music and massive American artists, like this article that I've been reading, um, 
mentions Johnny uh, John Coltrane and Thelonious Monk, uh, and it says they were never heard by Soviet ears, which is interesting as someone who knows who those people are, didn't live at the time, but has heard them. Um, and eventually that, you know, transitioned to rock and roll. Uh, and this, this, I, uh, I've, I've been reading a lot of this stuff from, uh, what is called the dead media archive, which is part of NYU's department of media culture and communication. They have a really cool article on this. Um, this says that once jazz music returned to rock, apparently Bill Haley's 1954 hit rock around the clock which if you're not familiar is the one that's like rock around the clock tonight we're gonna rock 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 to all daylight that one it's a very popular song from the 50s uh, it was apparently deemed a threat to civilization by the U the government of the ussr which is fucking hysterical because it's a stupid pop song um it, it it basically uh once the soviet government found out about this thing that was going on they were like this is illegal we're going to crack down on this one of the ways that they did that was something that Alex mentioned earlier, which was they would, um, they attempted to flood the market of these bone records with terrible bone records so that people would stop buying them. And one of the ways that they would do that is that sometimes you would get a record and you would play it and you would think it would be music. But what it actually was, was this is the example that this article gives uh, it would it would just have like an interruption, like it, someone recorded over what was what was already there, and it would say something like, "You like rock and roll? Fuck you, anti-Soviet slime." <laughs> so, yeah. so the, 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 the Soviet government was in the business of making um, bone records that would basically neg you for listening to rock, um, which is. I think it's funny. It's really sad that that was the situation, but the fact that the government was so angry about this thing and angry about its citizens, you know, wanting to do what they wanted to do instead of not that, uh, it, it's really quite interesting. Um, yeah. On the sad part of it, um, according to this article uh, from NYU, there were apparently about 10 individuals who were suspected of distributing bone records and were sent to the gulags, which were labor camps. So it's not a really a funny story in that sense, but it, it's, it really shows how much the, the Soviet government really, really, really did not want Western culture infiltrating the Soviet Union. Yeah. A lot of people were arrested just getting caught with actual records because like, how do you create a bone record? You need to bring, a blueprint you need to bring an actual vinyl right. with uh, rock music or jazz or blues or boogie woogie or what have you into the soviet union no boogie right. woogie was actually one of the biggest favorite styles of the subculture movement um that's interesting uh yeah but so people who would go to america for i don't know political reasons or some other reasons they would actually bring back uh, um you know licensed records to the soviet union and then they would sell them to the to the ribs manufacturers to distribute music across the Soviet Union. So um, getting caught with those was uh, highly legal and many people were arrested. Do you um, know if, if it was common for um, Americans coming to the Soviet Union to bring records with them? I know that that was something like you and I talked about that phenomenon with like jeans, which were like not a thing in the USSR. So Americans would bring a bunch of jeans and sell them to people there. Yeah, I, I would I would put it this way. Um, 
historically, the way that this whole thing actually started was not with uh, foreigners coming into the USSR to bring music. It started right. with the, the end of World War II because soldiers started coming back to Russia with trophies such as Western media, Western records, mm -hmm. uh, which is why actually Stilagi, they, they did not, what do you call it? They did not wear the style of clothing that was popular in the United States at the same time, mm -hmm. right? They were wearing outdated costumes. <laughs> they would wear zoot suits. They would wear very comp, very colorful jackets and shirts and have very 1940s, early 1950s uh, hairstyles. Like deep into um, the 60s and 70s? Uh, well, I would not... Probably, yeah, I would probably say 60s and 70s as well, but definitely 1950s was like right. the big boom of this culture, right? Um, and uh, yeah, uh, the Stilagis movement, they were very cynical. They um, did not like the government they didn't want to adhere to any uh, cultural norms and they were despised and made a laughing stock of the party uh, wherever there was an opportunity to do so they um, what would be a common occurrence uh, even on russian streets is that stilagis would be followed by you know the common people followed with intent to hunt them down and uh, you know ruin their clothes or for example forcibly cut their hair in public Jesus. Um, yes, uh, there was a lot of uh, there is a lot of media making laughing stock of the uh, Stilagi movement. They would uh, they would paint them as monkeys who like you know basically who are um, uh, what's the word De like people who have devolved into monkeys and are now Jesus. deteriorating the culture of the Soviet Union. Mm, uh, there is a lot of poems written about how terrible it is that there are Stilagis everywhere. Mm -hmm. um yeah they, they were not very very liked so um bone records yeah. like vinyl more or less disappeared eventually i mean vinyl is still really popular today and especially if like you know alex and i, I know both own record players and a, and a fair <laughs> amount of records so in in you know a place like portland it, it, it is it is still thriving in a way but broadly speaking you're not going to uh come home and you're like oh i want to listen to some music i'm going to put on a record you're probably going to pull up spotify or something like that but so more or less in the mid 1970s uh vinyl died and so did uh, bone records in that format uh, they were really replaced by tape recording in the way that yep. vinyl was replaced by tape recording because it's a lot easier to remake a tape like it's it's a lot easier to uh, like compared to getting a getting an x-ray plate cutting an x-ray plate burning a hole in it and using some really really jank equipment to record something onto it it's a lot easier to have a tape recording of David Bowie, for example, and then take another tape recorder and just record it. It's just a lot simpler, and it's a lot better quality. So it it really took over that way. And then, you know, like I mentioned before, the, the perestroika area or the restructuring of the USSR into a more Western-ish country um, kind of loosened the rules on music censorship. So you could you could more readily access western music in the ussr after that point so so this underground culture became much less of a thing but 
one of the things in recording this that I've, I've realized is that this idea really lives on in other oppressive countries. I don't know if, if any of you know about this who are listening, but there is an entire um, project that takes um, USB drives or flash drives and they like they just take them from donors who just like don't need their flash drive anymore and they wipe them clean and they put western media western news and movies and tv shows on them and they basically just chuck them into north korea or airdrop them into north korea so that the people there know that there is a world outside of the horrible horrible way that they're living uh so this idea of 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 underground media using it to liberate the minds of of a group is is not new um and it it still exists very much today. Of course, and with the punk movement, with the anarchist movement, just just all around the world, uh, it is still being uh, supported. <laughs> so what 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 is what use. is the like lasting effect of this in Russia, Alex? Like, what what do people think about this? What what is what is this like effect now? Well, of course. Uh, today, most of the people who uh, live to despise Bo- uh, Ribs, they are probably not alive, or if they are still alive, I would actually like to meet them and ask their <laughs> opinion because they they see they seen some stuff, uh, Drew. They've seen some yes. stuff, so it's important. Living through the Soviet Union is definitely seeing some stuff. Yes. Uh, so, but of course, right now uh, the Ribs they are pretty much revered as a big influence for Russia to just you know to 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 lift the Iron Curtain and uh, everything uh, because because that's how people got uh, pe- people began getting used to shifting their mindset to accept Western genres and values. Uh, and we can we can see that even like in terms of government after Stalin uh, passed away, um, we could see the general secretaries of the Soviet Union just uh, which is by the way if you don't know general secretary is basically like president, uh, but yeah general secretaries of Soviet Union engaging in diplomacy and even uh, product promotion uh, uh, like. Uh, Nikita Khrushchev, who was one of the general sec- secretaries of the Soviet Union, is famous for drinking Pepsi with uh, the American president. I believe, <laughs> I, be- I believe that was the picture. But yeah, I, I remember yes. them basically. There was a, there was a conversation between Khrushchev, and it was a, it was either one of the American presidents or one of the Pepsi CEOs at the time, uh, where they started to manufacture Pepsi in Russia. And uh, Khrushchev was asked, like, which kind of Pepsi is better, Soviet made or American made? And Khrushchev, well, of course, it's Soviet made. That's better. <laughs> yes, the um, Soviet made Pepsi. Um, yes. In any case, uh, also, if you're really interested about this, uh, you can always research on the fact that uh, thanks to the collaboration between the Pepsi and the Soviet Union, Pepsi had become, uh, I think, what is it, was the 10th largest military in the world? There's an actual article about this. Sorry, did you yeah, just because... say Pepsi became the 10th largest military in the world? Either 10th or one of, one of the largest ones. Because... I'm, not, I'm not confused about the ranking, Alex. I think you misunderstood my question. You just said Pepsi became a military a military force yes because of the russian military selling them uh pepsi started buying uh uh russian military tech uh, in exchange for production in russia (laughs) so that's insane uh, (laughs) why did pepsi need military technology uh i I think that's i think that's a conversation for a different podcast but they didn't need it they did not need it. That's yeah, the thing. Uh, have you heard they of could British buy East it. India Company? <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. They didn't. They did not need it. They were just buying it because that's one of the ways they could establish a a, a, 
valuable exchange between the two parties. That's the, the, Pepsi did not try to become a military force. They just accidentally became one. Whoops. Um, I have an army now. Uh, anyway, yep. back to what we're talking about. I think that this is this is this is a super interesting story because it it is endemic of basically what happened to the Soviet Union, which is the Soviet Union was worn down by people who wanted to not be living in the Soviet Union as it was. Like the the re- part of the reason that the Soviet Union collapsed is that everyone, not everyone, but like there was significant pushback against the government there. And obviously there was external forces like, uh, I don't know, the Cold War, but the Soviet Union was worn down by people like this, creating records on x-ray plates because they didn't want to live in a place where they couldn't listen to music that they liked. Yeah. Music is powerful. We're getting emotional. Music is, music is powerful. But I mean, it is, it is like the, the, the wants to be able to express yourself through listening to music is strong. Obviously, people went to lengths at threat of going to fucking labor camps were just, like, making records on x-ray plates because they couldn't do that anywhere. They couldn't get that anywhere else. And I I just... It's a really cool story. I I think that... I, I just... I really enjoy knowing that there is always a way that people are going to find to listen to music because it's important to people. Yeah, and and just as a piece of history, uh, if you ever have the opportunity, be on the lookout for museum, uh, just like for museum showcases of uh, ribs, because some of them were really pretty. Like people, people who were making them, they started like you know, they started putting together uh, different shapes to make images on the on the oh, X-ray plate so to make it look better. Because right now, of course, due to the chemical compound. Uh, just just deteriorating you you cannot really play them back but you can look at them and a lot of them were rather pretty yeah yeah well that's that's ribs that's bone records they're, they're a really that's cool piece of music history they're a really cool he- piece of political history and you know like the history of the soviet union and they you know kind of live on in various forms today in in using music and media to subvert authoritarian regimes so Thank you, Alex, for coming on the show. It's been really great having you. Um, Thank you, Gerard. It was really nice being back, even though the format is a little different. But that, the you format know, I like is it. I like different. music history. I also like music history, which is why we're doing this. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Out of Phase presented by Portland State Professional Sound. Uh, we will probably not have uh, a, a podcast coming out in the next month as we are once again college students and we will be all on winter break. But once our, our term resumes uh, it, at the start of the new year, um, we will resume this podcast. We will actually be switching to a uh, twice a month format, so a bi-weekly format. Um, and Hopefully we will be able to actually put out a little bit more content in kind of a different form from then. So expect more stuff from us. Expect more stuff from this show. Expect more stuff from music history in general. And uh, have a good holiday season. Thanks for listening. Enjoy. Have fun. (laughs) (laughs) Pepsi had a large military. (laughs) Pepsi had a large military. Pepsi was the 10th largest military force in the world anti-soviet slime <laughs> yeah <laughs> whoops i have an army now <laughs> <laughs>